I'd like to invite the children to come closer to the screen for a moment, but I may need you to kind of spread out a little bit. I want to play a game of follow the leader. But I know that normally when we play follow the leader, we all line up and somebody's in front and they do some things and then everyone else behind them is supposed to do the same thing. But we can't do that today. So I'd like you to find a little bit of space wherever you're at right now. So a place where you're not going to step on any toes and you're not going to knock anything over. Maybe you just hear my voice even if you have to walk away from the screen. But I want to play a little game of follow the leader, okay? So. I'm gonna, we're gonna pretend that you're following me behind me, okay? So when I do something, I want you to do something. So the first thing I'm gonna do is some bunny hops. Okay, now I wanna hop on one leg. Other leg. Okay, now we're gonna twirl a little bit. Okay, thank you for playing with me. I hope that was fun. I want to talk to you a little bit about playing follow the leader. In our scripture today, Peter's having a hard time following Jesus. And Jesus wants Peter to follow him a little more closely. Jesus has to do some things that are going to be kind of scary and kind of sad. And he wants Peter to be with him, to be close to him. And Peter's not following very well. So... Jesus says, Peter, get behind me, follow me. And you know what? I think that's what Jesus wants us to do too. Jesus wants to follow him closely. And sometimes it's hard to know how to do that. But I think that if we can do some things, we can follow Jesus more closely. That'll help us to follow Jesus. So some of the things that I think we can do are praying, and you know, you can pray anytime, anywhere. You could be brushing your teeth and praying. You could be kicking a ball in your yard and playing. You could be getting ready to eat or getting ready to go to bed. We can pray at all different times. And praying helps us to be closer to Jesus. Another thing that we can do is we can learn about Jesus. We can read our Bible and learn the stories of Jesus and what he did and how he cared for people. We can also care for other people. That's one way that we can be close to Jesus. Because when we care for other people, it's like we're caring for Jesus. So I want to remind you that God is always with us. Jesus is always with us. But we can be even closer when we try to follow him closely. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you are always with us, that you want to be close to us. Help us to follow Jesus and help us to do it in ways that care for others as you care for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. Would you pray with me? O oh God, may the words that I speak and the thoughts that we think be acceptable to you, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. As I was preparing for my sermon this week, I was struck by that image that's on the front cover of the bulletin. 
Heath Jones found this piece. It's by an unknown artist. And in the background of this picture, there's a man. I assume it to be Jesus. And he's carrying a cross. In the foreground, there's another man. I assume it's Peter. He's sitting on a rock. And his hands are clenched in his lap. And he's staring down at a cross at his feet. I think this piece struck me so much because I can identify with Peter. As I read our scripture this week, I could imagine myself doing the exact same thing. Staring down at that cross, not sure if I want to pick it up and follow. I have to be honest, I have been on the struggle bus lately. I'm struggling with the way we have to do ministry these days, and if this morning wasn't a perfect example of that with our technology failing. I'm struggling with how we have to do school right now and my own inadequacies as a parent and a proctor and a teacher's aide. I hate not being able to see friends and coworkers in person, and I hate that half of my life takes place on Zoom. And even as I say that, even as I have that personal pity party, I recognize my own incredible privilege and the deep pain and suffering of other people throughout our world. Even just in our country right now, there are so many who are hurting. Those who are suffering from COVID, who've lost their jobs, those who are fleeing the fires in California, those suffering from the effects of Hurricane Laura. And of course, we cannot forget the people of color who are traumatized yet again after the shooting of Jacob Blake and our country's ongoing struggle with the sin of racism. It just feels like too much. And then, and then I hear Jesus. And he says that if any want to follow him, they should deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. And I just want to put my head in my hands and cry. I want to say, look, Jesus, we have been denying ourselves for many months now, and we are tired. Look, Jesus, our arms are already full. We are carrying too much right now as it is. Look, Jesus, we have no energy left to pick up that cross, let alone carry it anywhere. I wonder if Peter felt a similar weariness all those years ago. I wonder if that's why he got so riled up when Jesus began to show his disciples that he would suffer and die. Peter seems to have a visceral reaction to this news. And I wonder if it was born out of his exhaustion from having to navigate life under oppressive forces. In his 1949 book, Jesus and the Disinherited, Howard Thurman describes the social position of Jesus. And he draws parallels with the status of African Americans of the time. He reminds the reader that Jesus was a poor Jew, a minority in a land ruled by a majority class. And he says, Jesus was not a Roman citizen. He was not protected by the normal guarantees of citizenship, that 
quiet sense of security which comes from knowing that you belong, and the general climate of confidence which it inspires. If a Roman soldier pushed Jesus into the ditch, he could not appeal to Caesar. He would just be another Jew in the ditch. Jesus and his followers are underdogs, or in the words of Thurman, they have their backs against the wall. They are the poor, the disinherited, the dispossessed. And it's this context in which we find Peter. A few verses before this passage that we read this morning, Peter first understands and names aloud that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus blesses him and tells him that Peter is the rock upon which Jesus will build his church. I'm sure that must have felt like a high point to Peter, a mountaintop experience. He finally understands what all this is about, and he's given a central role in Jesus' mission. The future looks bright. But if that's the mountaintop then Peter must feel like he's falling off a cliff a few verses later when Jesus begins to talk of suffering and death. Come on, Jesus, that's not what's supposed to happen. These people need a win, not suffering and death. So Peter rebukes Jesus. God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. But Jesus responds by saying, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block for me. You are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Now, it might be tempting to hear those words of Jesus and just assume that he's trying to ignore the realities of the present, to focus on some pie-in-the-sky reward later on. If someone else were saying it, it might be true. After all, what better way to get people to fall in line, to ignore what's going on in the present, than to paint a picture of a beautiful afterlife? But this is not God calling down from on high, patting Peter on the head and telling him to disregard this present moment because it will get better someday. This is God in a human body, a person in the flesh who feels the same pain and grief and weariness that Peter felt. This is Jesus who suffered under oppressive forces, who has experienced firsthand what it means to struggle, and who is with us in our own struggles. One commentary points out that when Jesus says, get behind me, He's using the language of discipleship. He's telling Peter that the posture of a disciple is to follow him, and Peter needs to follow more closely. I don't think that Jesus is telling Peter to ignore his personal suffering or the suffering of his people, because Jesus knows what it means to be present with people in their struggles. He's done it throughout his ministry. But Peter has made some assumptions about what it means to follow Jesus. He has presumed that following Jesus is going to mean some kind of political or military triumph. Peter has gotten ahead of himself. But more importantly, 
he's gotten ahead of Jesus. And in the process, he has become a stumbling block. Jesus, on the other hand, has a broader vision. Jesus sees the reality of suffering, but he also sees the possibility of choosing a suffering that is redemptive, one that turns the stuff of death and destruction into resurrection and new life. And it won't happen through the traditional means of political or military struggle. It will only happen through a love so deep and so wide that it cannot be overcome. But this is a totally different mindset for Peter. In order to see Jesus' vision, he needs to get behind Jesus, to follow him more closely so that they can walk together into the fullness of the kingdom of God. So when Jesus said that we need to deny ourselves, perhaps he wasn't talking about a denial of our feelings or hurts or our pain. Perhaps he was talking about a denial of those things that get in the way of a deeper relationship with him. Author Nadia Boltz Weber says, when Jesus says, deny yourself, maybe it's really denying the self that wants to see itself separate from God and others. Deny the self that sees spirituality as a suffering avoidance program. Deny the self that does not, want to, does, that does not feel worthy of God's love. Deny the self that thinks it's more worthy of God's love than its enemy is. Friends, I don't think that Jesus says all of this in order to make us miserable, especially if we're already struggling. I think Jesus says all of this because he wants to be in a deeper relationship with us. He wants to be in solidarity with us, not just to comfort us, but to help us see God's kingdom all around us and to live into that kingdom. Author Sarah Bessie says this, I've learned that faith isn't pretending the mountain isn't there. It isn't denial of the truth or the facts or the grief or the anger. It's not the lie of speaking peace, peace, when there is no peace. It's faith because it's hope declared. It's living into those things that are not yet as they will be. I hold space for the righteous anger and the grief. I join in the lamentations of the weary world. And then, and then I will seek ways to embody those prayers, to incarnate them, to further heaven's hopes and summon God's glory in ways both big and small, seen and unseen, mundane and holy. Friends, I think perhaps this is Jesus' lesson for us this morning. At least it's his lesson for me. Our struggles will not go away because we choose to follow Jesus. He will not lead us to some kind of worldly victory. 
He will not lead us down an easy path with no pain or suffering. But he will come alongside us in our struggles. He will lift our eyes from the crumbling foundations all around us, and he will help us to see God's kingdom being built in ways both big and small, seen and unseen, mundane and holy. He will invite us to draw closer to him, to follow him, and then to work with him as he turns the stuff of death and destruction into resurrection and new life. Friends, let us follow Jesus. Amen.